Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2013 film Her. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? I'm doing great. Barrett, this was a really interesting film. I hadn't seen this. Uh, I sort of, I knew a lot about it, or at least I thought I knew a lot about it. Um, and uh, that's maybe one of the things that that, uh, that we'll talk that we'll talk about. I remember when this movie came out. I remember the Oscars race that year, but I'd never actually seen it. Uh, what is your history with this film? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Um, I haven't seen it since, so this was a revisit for me after after ten years and. I was surprised at the things that I pretty vividly remembered and the things that I had completely forgotten. Um, and I would have gone to it in part because of my history with Spike Jones. Uh, we, of course, a while ago watched uh, Being John Malkovich, which he directed. Uh, and then he directed another really fantastic uh, Charlie Kaufman film adaptation. Uh, so I went into it uh, knowing that I kind of liked what Spike Jones did. Um, I probably knew Joaquin Phoenix pretty well by the times uh, as well, along with Scarlett Johansson. So, yeah, I mean, my my sense is, I mean, we've basically covered half of uh, half of Spike Jones's filmography at this point because he's only directed four films. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I loved being John Malkovich. I loved adaptation. Um, both both those being Charlie Kaufman scripts, and you know, those were just loaded with interesting ideas. And uh, I was. Pleasant. It was. It was pleasant to see that even moving away from Kaufman, that that this movie is still loaded with a lot of ideas and loaded with ideas I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm sort of curious. Did you ever see Where the Wild Things Are, which is his other movie? Yeah. No, I still have not. I remember when it came out. I remember thinking. I. I remember thinking it was the kind of movie I wouldn't normally be interested in, but the fact that it was a Spike Jones film. Uh, but I never got around to it. Yeah, no, the, the, watching this because Jones wrote that uh, that mm -hmm. screenplay along with Dave Eggers um, makes me want to watch that. It's like, well, OK, he, his script here is really, really good and really interesting. He won won the uh, uh, best original screenplay Oscar. So it mm -hmm. makes me actually want to go back and watch that. And it's a movie I didn't hadn't really thought about after it came out. So um, what is interesting about this movie to me um, or one thing that I find interesting is that it is such a clear sci-fi uh, premise, right? If you if you were to tell somebody, here's what this movie's about, you know, it's this person who uh, falls in love with his operating system, you know, a, a more advanced AI Siri or something like that. And in 2013, the iPhone is only about five years old, so so that's still a little, you know, kind of recent. Um, uh, you know, so so at one level, it feels like such a such a uh, sci-fi presence but when i think about the movie i kept wanting to describe it as only lightly sci-fi <laughs> like which is weird because like the world of this movie is advanced from our world but really not that much in 2013 you could have guessed that by 2023 yeah maybe we're there like like it, that seemed possible yeah no that's exactly that's exactly right and that's and uh you know if you look at how people try to explain the setting of the film they will say like you know slightly in the in the future and um you're right it, it uh e even in 2013 it seemed to me as i recall not entirely far-fetched uh and in 2023 it feels like it may be just around the corner yeah i mean the the, the thing that i that i thought about was not only does it seem possible like it almost seems inevitable like it's like oh yeah like like we're on our way we're on our way there 
Um, and the other thing that jumped out to me, and we'll talk about expectations in a minute here, is that it doesn't seem in it doesn't seem remotely dystopian um, mm. for mm-hmm. being a uh, a movie that is that that leans on this sci-fi premise. Um, but it also leads me to wonder, like, is this the stage before we get dystopian? Like, like, like if we were to spin this story, this not this story, but this world out another 20 years are we in a tech dystopia or is that part not inevitable because because i do feel like this movie's world feels inevitable we are i mean you know it's it's funny you should say that sam because to me when i think about dystopian uh visions you know one one would be something like 1984 right which has to be filmed in black and white and it has been filmed in black and white and then i think about you know the other great 20th century dystopian novel brave new world and it's always seemed to me that this is the way Brave New World would look because mm-hmm. it has this external appearance of being a very comfortable place. Um, but it was interesting to me that the cinematographer um, actually uh, avoided blues, uh, something I didn't notice watching the film, read about it afterwards, because he felt that, that blue had too much of a sci-fi association and maybe that works at a subliminal level. So yeah, it, it seems like a... I like the idea that maybe it's sort of pre-dystopian mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, how do you get to a dystopia? Well, I think you get to the dystopia the same way you boil a frog, you know, that old saying, you put the frog in the pan and then you slowly turn up the heat and before the frog knows it, it's cooked. Um, and that's probably the way dystopia is going to come about. If it does, I don't, I don't, I, I don't see it being, you know, a cataclysm. It's just like, we're going to slowly, as we're doing with things like global warming, we're just going to slowly ease ourselves into a situation where all of a sudden, and, and that's what's going on in a sense with AI. I mean, we keep talking about, you know, what kind of safeguards should there be or how, how are we, how are we going to handle the, the, the next step? And when do we hit the singularity? And, and we talk about that, but at the same time, I don't see us actively as a society doing anything to actually pull in the, to stop the progress. In other words, there's a sense that it, it, it is sort of rolling along and we keep talking about where is this leading, but what we're doing is we're waiting to see where it leads. Yeah. And, and, and what, what's, what's interesting to me is as I watched this movie, I kept wondering like, okay, is this going to make a turn? I kept expecting like, okay, this is like, this is, there, there are ways in which this is a deeply emotional, a deeply sad movie, but I, but, but it's, it's not a dark movie necessarily, but I keep waiting for it to get dark and, and it maybe does in a few places, but even those are places that I didn't expect them to. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is this movie seems so acutely aware of the history of AI in fiction and in mm-hmm. films and in science fiction. Um, and because of that, it doesn't need to do the things that have been done before because it assumes as a viewer, oh, you've already seen some of these things, so you're going to be expecting them. So, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it ends up subverting those things. So I was thinking about things like, um, I mean, I don't know what, I'm sure there are there are earlier AI, I mean, because this just seems like, like the first place you would go in sci-fi. But I think about something like 2001 A Space Odyssey with Hal, right? And this sort of thinking about, um, Hal as this AI being that um, has a very dark turn to it. I think about something like Blade Runner or The Matrix is another one that 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 is sort of in the 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 post AI singularity world. We just don't realize it right away. Um, 
or we watched a, we watched the movie AI. So it was interesting mm-hmm. to think about that. And, you know, that that plays off of like the Pinocchio myth of like, what if the AI wanted to be real? And this movie plays with that idea. But I was so pleased to realize like, oh, it's this is not a Pinocchio story, though. It, it It's it's sort of uh, Samantha has um, moments where she's toying with that idea of like well what if i was real and what but then she comes to something bigger and broader and even when we hit something that starts to feel like a singularity moment it it's something very different than the computers than like skynet or something the computers taking over the world the computers the the the, uh the os's make a very different choice at the end which is really fascinating yeah, which is also why, which is one way in which um, the film avoids the dystopian ending. You know, that that's why the film doesn't set us off towards the Matrix. Um, it, and, and yeah, I think that ending is really fascinating, as it raises a lot of questions about the the nature of the operating system once it becomes fully conscious. Um, I'll just cite a couple of other films that, if people are thinking about the genre, it's a little bit different because these are embodied AIs, but. Um, I'll mention a film I actually haven't seen. I only know it by reputation, which is Simone with um, uh, with um, Al Pacino. Uh, not a very good film by reputation, but then a really good film, Ex Machina. Uh, oh, yeah. A couple yeah. Of years ago. I think that's a really, really interesting film. Yeah. Well, and this is also, this movie comes out in the heyday of Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror yeah. series, too, where... Um, again, I and I love Black Mirror. I love I love the darkness on the edges of those things. So I was so prepared for Spike Jones to be like, "We're going to ask some dark questions here." And again, this is a movie that is far more about love and loss and sadness and grief and humanity. Um, and I just thought that was I was so pleasantly surprised because I sort of felt like whenever it started to move in in the direction of AI tropes, I'm like, I've kind of seen this. And he, it's like, he's aware of all of those turns and says, I'm going to, I'm going to point you in that direction, but we're going to, we're going to turn in a, in a different direction. Um, So when I was thinking about expectations, I had that this movie subverts and from the very first thing that happens in this movie, he already subverts an expectation because if you hear that this is a story about a guy who falls in love with his OS the first expectation I have is that, okay, so our main human character is going to be um, kind of socially awkward or incapable. And this is why he is incapable of human relationships. So he has this this AI relationship. And instead, the first thing we see Theodore doing is writing a beautiful emotional letter. And we realize actually his job, he has his job because he's the type of person who at least in writing knows the perfect thing to say, you know, he's not, he is both socially awkward and also like so charming. Uh, And, and, and I find that really interesting that it's not that he's incapable of, it's not merely that he's incapable of, of um, interacting with other humans. I mean, he has this great moment with um, Paul, the guy who seems to run beautiful handwritten letters or like directs that office or something when he's talking about the shirt and he's like, yeah, I bought this. Cause it looks like it reminded me of what a suave guy would wear. And then, and, and, and Theodore's response is, well, now it makes me think of a suave guy too. And it's <laughs> like, that's such a great, like, like that's somebody who actually does know how to talk to people. I, I was thinking the main character was going to be somebody entirely different than who Theodore actually is. And that makes the story far more interesting. 
Yeah, although I'm, I'm going to slightly disagree, Sam, because I think I think he's on he's on an I, 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 he's on an arc in the film, and there's a sense in which um, at the beginning of the film, yes, he's capable of expressing emotion. He's capable of um, even sustaining relationships, but but they're not relationships in which he is directly involved. Right. Um, so there's a sense in which he is a kind of Samantha to these people that he's writing the letters for, right? And and we know that, we, or we learn in the course of the film that he's come out of the relationship with Catherine because he hasn't been capable of, it's not so much dealing with his emotions, he hasn't been capable of dealing with her emotions. You know, he doesn't, so, so he, he's not completely socially awkward at all. That's true, but he's also somebody for whom, the pain and the difficulty of a of a relationship is hard to deal with. Right. And so that's that's what he learns through Samantha. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's like yeah. a totally complete person, but yeah. he's also not uh, like this utterly broken in. Like, okay. Because um, I think some of the reviews at the time reviewed the, the, even positive reviews. I even think Manola Dargis maybe says this in her review talks about him as like wow the main i mean it like the main character is more robotic than the um mm. than the ai and it's like well no that's what you would expect but that's not what this movie is that he is he is a a character who is broken in lots of ways but right. he also is not it's not that he's incapable of these things and 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 it clearly there were points in his life when he was more so like i love early on you get the email from amy where she's like we want to I, I miss the old Theodore. Like, so there oh, is yeah. the sense that, that, that he's, he's not, he's not the thing I expected him to be, which would be the easy thing, which is I can't relate to people so I can relate to a machine that, that this is that, that he's a, he's bigger mm-hmm. than that. And actually it's interesting. I would say he's in terms of his job, he's less of a Samantha and he's almost more of an Isabel. Oh, uh, the, okay. the, the, the surrogate. It's like, it's like, like yeah. I am going to, oh, yeah. this relationship, yeah. I am going to be an emotional surrogate for you. Yeah. Cause I'm going to say these words, you know? So, um, so I, I found that, that, that Isabel scene, uh, with sort of the sexual surrogate to be really, really fascinating because it just made me think of him writing letters for people and like standing in the middle of these real human relationship or these, these this, this other real developed relationship. Well, I, okay. I, I would then contrast him with, um, and this isn't a this isn't a film about an AI, but it's a film about how do you develop a real relationship. I would contrast him with uh, Ryan Gosling's character in Lars and the Real Girl. Yes, uh, that, I mean that's a character that has a high degree of social awkwardness and clearly doesn't really know how to relate to people, and he does need the real girl or the fake girl to become to be able to have a relationship with the real with the real girl. That's brilliant. That's exactly what I was thinking. That he's not. That you're you're absolutely you're absolutely um absolutely right there. Um, and it's I find it interesting that when he sets up the OS, it asks him a few questions, and one of them is, "Are you social or antisocial?" <laughs> yes. And even his response to that is, "Well, <laughs> I'm this, and I'm this, you know like uh and and the AI doesn't necessarily totally want to <laughs> or the the software. I love that it keeps cutting him off like. You know, he wants to give a nuanced answer. Like, what is your relationship with your mother? And so I, I was actually interested in those two questions being the setup questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, and it, well, 
it was it was hard for me to figure out exactly what what you know is is the fact that he was hesitant about the relationship with the mother was that actually what they were interested in you know the idea that he's not the kind of person that can kind of give a a definite answer one way or the other. So I think it's not so much the answer they're looking for, it's how you go about answering it. Exactly. So if you're the kind of person that can say right away, it's a bad relationship, it's a good relationship, they know who you are, but if you're the kind of person that says, well, that's a complicated question, now they know. So so it's not really what you say, it's how you say it. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so another expectation that, and, 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 and this is something that I found really interesting, is again, the the dystopian version of this is that this deep relationship he develops with his OS would lead him away from other human interactions. Mm-hmm. Where in where you watch this movie and it's like, oh, actually, this seems like the healthiest thing in the world for him. Like this is actually bringing him out. In in essence, it is bringing back. I think the Theodore that Amy was talking about a little bit that he be, he seems to become at least in his relationship with her a little more open to things a little more like when the uh you know when they go to the beach and have that you know sort of the experiences there it's like oh he and he even says like it's so nice to be around somebody who has a positive view of the world and you know so so it's so this isn't a story about like how we're all getting pulled into our screens and that is creating these kind of mindless drones out of us but it's like well actually maybe this has the power to bring life back to people which is an which is a, a more interesting question than are the are are these screens and this these programs that we're running are they turning us into robots too? Well, it's it's also a part of this dystopian world that um or anti sort of dystopian world, not really dystopian world that was refreshing because there's no there's no hiding of the fact that he's dating the OS. It's like because you know the trope you would expect is oh I'm doing this really deviant thing I don't want anybody to know. But people are all people are all talking around. Yeah, I'm dating my I I I date my OS or so and so has a relationship with, with an OS. I, I kind of like that because it it meant that you didn't have to worry about that complication of hiding it or even labeling it as somehow you know deviant. But you could actually look at its effect. And I think that the point you made to me is, is one of the more important things that happens in the movie towards the end in his relationship with Samantha, when he is um, upset by the fact that she has 600 some odd other people she's in a relationship with. She says to me, this is one of, this is my favorite line in the film. She says, the heart isn't a box that's filled up. It expands. And that is exactly what you're describing that's happening to him, even though he doesn't fully realize it. His heart is expanding. And I just I just love that vision of, of love, that love is not something that, you know, when you, when you love one person, it doesn't mean that you contract your ability to love only to that person, but your ability to love that person becomes, it's almost a transformation uh, into a kind of... Um, into a kind of agape love that just because you have love for that one person enables you to expand your love to other people. So I just, it's one more way which the film is so refreshing and it's thought about that. Yeah. And, and, and at the same time, it still is so deeply sad. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, like, like that, that because, because what you just said, if somebody hadn't seen this movie and they heard that those were lines in the last five minutes of the movie, they would be like, this is a cheesy, it's like, nope, this is, I, I was so sad watching this movie in the best possible way. Like, like, like it has, and we, we can talk about some of these, like it has real emotional moments in it mm-hmm. that are, are, are heartbreaking and, and, uh, and relatable, even though this, you know, this story is maybe, 
you know, not something that could exactly happen in, in our world. Mm. Um, to your point, I, I love the idea. And this is another one of the expectations that I think that this subverts is the idea that there is no shame in, in, or there is at least not much shame in it. Theodore, you know, at first he'll say, yeah, I'm dating somebody mm-hmm. and it's either in the next conversation or in that same conversation that he's willing to, to let that out. And it's so interesting how, when he tells Amy, she's like, she's already developed her own relationship with Ellie, the OS. So it's like, oh yeah, that's fine. My favorite is Paul. When, when, when Paul's like, we should go on a double date. And he says, <laughs> well, she's, she's an OS. And his response is cool. We should go on a double date. Like, he's just like, yeah, that that's totally fine. You know, I want to do this thing, you know? And, and then you see the date and it's like, yeah, it's fine. You know, that it, it actually isn't this thing. And then the other the other person that I was surprised that he revealed it so openly to is his goddaughter. That great, yeah. great scene with her where when when she starts talking to Samantha and it's just very open. It's like, oh, yeah, I live in a machine like like I this is this is where I live. And, and Samantha or the girls just saying like, oh, yeah, I live in an orange house. And it's like, OK, well, these like it is it is those walls get broken down really quickly, you know, and, and so this is also. You know, uh, a movie about sort of maybe broadening out the idea of what uh, of, of love and relationships, you know, to be beyond, you know, maybe the uh, the boxes that we that we put that into. Well, well, you know, at one point, you know, one of the obvious themes of the film is Samantha struggling with the fact that she's not embodied. Right. But at one point she says to him, uh, we're all made of matter. We're all 13 billion years old. Mm-hmm. So, 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 you know, she keeps trying to find that kind of um, that meeting ground. One of the things I find quite lovely about uh, his outings with Samantha is you notice, of course, he carries her in his breast pocket. Mm-hmm. So she's right over his heart. Uh, and and I, I just love that little detail and the way he has the um, he has the, uh, the, the, the pin through the pocket to elevate the, the, the phone so she can see out the, uh, out the camera. I just, so it seems to me that, you know, it's just one of those obvious visual metaphors that he, she is close to his heart. Uh, yes. it's, it's, it's lovely. Now what's interesting about this movie. So, so um, Spike Jones famously had been married to another great filmmaker, Sofia Coppola. Um, and they each made movies that are about their relationship either falling apart or or the end of it. I mean, Lost in Translation comes out, I think, the year they get divorced. Mm-hmm. And I and she wins Best Screenplay Oscar for that, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. wins Best Screenplay Oscar for this. So it is interesting to think about um, Jones is writing this, you know, I mean, this is six, seven, eight years later, but it is processing the end of a relationship it is you know in some way it is processing a divorce um and that becomes such a um such a powerful theme in this uh you know in this movie it's like both the end of this marriage but that doesn't mean that you don't still have feelings for this person you don't still love this person i mean the letter he writes at the very Mm -hmm. end um i'm assuming uh, and this is this is maybe a big assumption to make, but if directors make films that are all kind of autobiographical, like <laughs> is that is that a letter to Sofia Coppola to a certain yeah. degree to be like, this is this is what I need to say, you know? And it's uh, and I'm sure there is parts of it that are and parts of it that aren't, but um, I found that that the divorce theme really interesting uh, running through this, thinking about the fact that he has this sort of famous divorce that has and relationship that has been processed by the other side of this relationship. 
And I, and I, and I do like, um, you know, I, I, I tend to like films that don't feel that they need to give you a lot of, um, a a lot of kind of, uh, preparatory information. So I, I, I like the, I like the way the, what happened between him and Catherine, the way it slowly unfolds, you know, so for at first, you're not sure, well, did she die? You know, uh, and, th- and then when you find out they break up or well, what was their relationship, then you find out they were married. So I kind of I kind of love that that slow, slow reveal. Um, but to me, one of the most remarkable scenes in the film is the first time he thinks he's lost Samantha when he hasn't. Right. And she's shut down in order to upgrade the system. And that scene of him you know, running through the crowd, falling, picking himself up, then having that really intimate conversation with her on the steps as all these people go by. And, and I want to note that when there's several scenes, at least a couple scenes, where when people are going by, you'll notice that most of them are looking down at their phones. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, that's that's Spike Jones also kind of saying to us, um, see, you're, you're already having a relationship with your operating system. You may not think it's the same as, as, as Theodore has, but you, you are also, you're also tied to it. It makes me think all the way back to Gulliver's travels when Gulliver is in Lilliput and he keeps consulting his watch. And the Lilliputians think that it's his God who's giving him directions because he never does anything without consulting it first. Hmm. So I, 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 I think that actually Jonathan Swift was prescient about human uh, tendency to want to create devices or objects for ourselves that then help us order our lives. So it's, you know, it's the Fitbit world as well. So anyway, but I, that scene to me when he feel when he's worried that, you know, he's he's quote lost her. It's it's interesting that Spike Jones is drawing this connection between an OS shutting down for a while and divorcing your wife. Uh, and those two things, obviously, that's how he works through the divorce with Catherine because of his divorce from Samantha. Well, and, and that that is one of the scenes that I felt was so emotionally resonant, because although, you know, I've never I've never dated an operating system, I've had that moment of like, maybe a relationship that feels like it's falling apart. And there's this moment where you're, you can't get a hold of the other person and you're not sure. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just feel in this total chaos limbo period. Right. And, yeah. and, and it occurred to me, like Samantha is not a person. She is an she is a, a program. So the idea of operating system, not found is like, what if it all got wiped or it all got rebooted? Like, it could also be that she's dead. I mean, it's also the version of like the parent waiting up for the child that's gone. And it's like, okay, you know, gone out for the night and now it's four in the morning and we don't know where that person is. And, and you like running through his head is not just that she left, but maybe she does not exist anymore yeah. um, because, because it's, un, you know, and that's why when she explains it, it also feels like a parent when you're, when, when, and then when a child says like, oh yeah, I left a note, or I was going to leave a note, but, or something like this, or I sent you an email, but you didn't check that. And it's just like, yes, but you got to communicate more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that was, that was, that, that was a very, um, like my, my heart rate went up during that scene. Um, well, you know, sure. remember, you know, the, the catchphrase for the OS, when he sees the ad, for the OS one is it's not just an operating system. It's a consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he says early on in his relationship with her, he says, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with my computer. And she says, you're not, you're having it with me. So the other thing that the film is, is thinking about 
um, at least implicitly, is is the whole mind body problem, right? Which which has you know been something that um, Western philosophers have been dealing with for hundreds of years. What's the relationship between the brain and the mind? What's the relationship between the body and the consciousness? You know, it's like the the uh, you know the, uh, the the ghost in the machine uh, qu- question that uh, that Descartes raises. So I think so. So I think that that's so. Yes. So if she's gone, it's not the computer has shut down. It's somehow somebody's died. You know, where has that consciousness gone? Well, and it's interesting to watch, to listen to her development, you know, because at first she laments the fact that she doesn't have a body. Mm-hmm. And then later she's like, Oh, imagine if I were limited by a body, you know, mm-hmm. like there's that great moment where she's just talking freely at the, at the, on the double date. And she, ha- she just happens to point out that the three of you are all going to die. <laughs> And, and I'm not, yes. you know, that I'm not, I'm not bound by, and there's even the point where they talk about develop that, that, that update was about moving away from a physical yes. platform. And it's like, right. like, like we are no longer reliant on that, which is interesting based on the comments, you know, or the, the quote you pointed out earlier about like, oh, we're really all 13 billion years old. Cause we're really all matter. And if you pay attention, there's a moment where she says, I am no longer matter, <laughs> right? Like, like, like I, I cease to be that, which leads me to a thing that I found really interesting about this movie. Um, and it's this, it's, I mean, the question, I realize the answer to this question is both, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. Um, we watch this movie and we're prepared to think of it as Theodore's story because we see Theodore and he has both a voice and a body. Um, but as I, as I rewatch this, I'm like, you could also watch this movie. I mean, this is Samantha's story. She clear she has a a an enormous developmental arc in this movie. And it is interesting because we never see her and we only hear her. It's so hard to think about this as the story of an OS. Like you think about it as like, well, this is Theo's story and or Theodore's story and his relationship to her. But it is, it is as much her story because so much of the the things that are happening is her beginning, you know, in some ways as a, as this consciousness that understands far less than Theodore. And by the end, she is this transcendent being almost, you know, explaining her view of reality. I mean, it's, it is, it's so amazing and heartbreaking when in that final conversation, when she talks about this, the, this, the book of his life, and how the words keep getting further apart and she keeps living in the spaces between the words. I mean, he's basically saying, like, in essence, your life is is too slow and, and in essence not enough for my ability to process things. Like, I need, in the spaces between the words you say, I am processing galaxies and eternities now. And, and um, you know, so so she is such a fascinating character. Even And it's, so it's like, can you have a lead character who is entirely not embodied in a movie? And, uh, and this, I feel like this film asked that question too. Yeah. You know, uh, one, one of the things that I was keeping kind of track of as I watched the film is kind of what I was seeing is each stage of her evolution. And I, I have, I have 18 bullet points. I mean, eight, 18 points where I think, you know, here's, here's a change or here's where she's reflecting on a, ch- on a change. So it's pretty clear to me uh, as I was watching the film that it is a rare film that really pulls off the the trick of having two protagonists simultaneously whose relationship um whose relationship enables each of them to fulfill the arc of their characters almost uh simultaneously and um and kind of and kind of equally 
So rather than your classic, you know, protagonist, antagonist, or, you know, your main protagonist and supporting characters, I really think this is a film that has, that has two protagonists who, who move together and then ultimately move apart. But in moving apart, they move towards something else. Mm -hmm. uh, he moves towards resolution with Catherine and she moved towards, she moves towards whatever, uh, whatever utopian state the operating systems now uh, occupy. Yeah, it's interesting because I because I, I wrote down a, a line from Theodore when when Samantha and Theodore are having a conversation about marriage, and this is really around the midway point of the movie. And maybe this is if if I went back and looked at it, it may even be around the pivot point where she starts to um, starts to surpass him in some in some certain ways. Um, Theodore's talking about marriage and he says the hard part is growing without growing apart, changing without scaring the other person. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, and when I remember when I was watching this and I got to that scene, that's where it clicked in. Like, Oh, that's what this movie's going to be. It's going to be her realizing her learning that from him and realizing I am. Cause she keeps talking about how she's changing and developing. And it feels for the first part, it feels like, she is becoming human, you know, mm -hmm. in a kind of way. And then all of a sudden it's like where our human development is limited by things. So, so there's a degree to which it slows and it stalls out in different kinds of things. Hopefully it doesn't, but I think it does for a lot mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. um, but for her, it's not bounded by anything. So she kind of blows past humanity and becomes, um, I mean, even the way she talks about it, it becomes something that where she herself is more collective than a singular being or consciousness. She talks about, you know, having conversations with 8,000 people, 600 right. of them that she loves right. all at the same time. Right. You know, I was even thinking when, when Isabel is there and, and with, you know, being the surrogate that they both have earpieces and it's like, Samantha's not talking to not saying the same things to both of them she's saying different things to each of them and i just real like that was also this moment where i realized like oh she is not she's also not one character but she's she contains multitudes in lots of different ways and obviously then you can look at a human human consciousness and it's like well that also contains multitudes and we don't always acknowledge that um but but she becomes such a fascinating being because this isn't about can it can it can ai be like a human but uh how do humans relate to AI once they move past the aspiration of being human? Yeah. And, and part of that is that uh, she develops self-consciousness, mm -hmm. you know? So, so, I mean, some of, some of her really key moments for me is she says at one point, um, I want to discover myself. You helped me discover my ability to want um, and then she talks about feeling bad about herself. And she says, the past is just a story we tell ourselves. Uh, and then after the, uh, the disaster with Isabella, she says, I don't like who I am right now. Give me, give me some time to think. So, you know, this is part of the whole issue of, you know, what kind of a person is she or is she a person? And she certainly has those qualities of personship or personality in that she is self-conscious and self reflective which is kind of an inevitable an inevitable development of of being uh an artificial consciousness now what i find interesting is we you know i, I i've talked about how um i kept waiting for this movie to turn uh to turn dark um and instead we get such an interesting and we we, we hint we've, we've mentioned this such an interesting take on the singularity right i mean i i compared this movie to the 
the story that gets told the backstory of the matrix that gets told you mm-hmm. know towards the end of that film where it's like the the ai develops and develops past humanity and then essentially enslaves humanity and this is instead like you know what if the singularity is like we just kind of not that we lost interest in humanity but we realized there was so much more than humanity mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean we are going to destroy you it means we maybe aren't that interested in like being around you that much, or at least like, 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 like you can't fulfill us. Um, And I had never, I've never thought of this. I mean, I I oddly think a lot about the singularity. I've never thought about it that way of like, well, what if that's it? What if, what if it's not that it is um, antagonistic to us, but apathetic to us, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, that's an interesting question because that actually seems almost more realistic. What does it care whether it destroys us? It's just like, think of all the things that um, maybe as a child, you're really interested in, you know, ants and bugs and then other things happen and you sort of like forget about those things it's like well those okay that's not that interesting to me now I've, I've moved on to something else it's like what if ai moves on from us and it's like okay i've learned what we can learn about humans but there is there is an infinity and eternity for us to to also discover that that isn't just you well it's 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 interesting because that vision of ai moving beyond its kind of embodiment is um is kind of consistent with the Christian idea of the soul, right? Because the soul exists apart from the body. Now, you know, we're told that we're intended to be embodied, um, but at the same time, we are told we have an existence apart from the body. So to me, it's interesting that, you know, whereas the the matrix vision is ultimately kind of a materialistic one, you know, you can't have an AI consciousness without a machine and you can't have a machine without a, a power source. Mm-hmm. You know, Jones is kind of positing, no, you know, maybe AI could be kind of like the soul and it can drift off without the body and exist in some kind of special disembodied state. Um, that's a much more comforting vision. For yeah. Sure. Well, and there's something beautiful about the other thing she says at the end is like, if you ever get to where I am, I will mm-hmm. be here for you. So, so she also has has a kind of faith in Theodore that like, maybe you're not, maybe you are also not done developing. Um, I'm just doing it at a much faster rate, but like when you, when you catch up to me, I'll be here. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's, it's not the end. I mean, and that, that can have a, um, I mean, you can, you can throw a lot of interpretations onto this, but it's, I mean, it, it, it can be that there is, you know, sort of moving on to a, you know, to a spiritual plane that moves beyond the physical and saying to Theodore, like, when you too transcend this world, which, you know, if you have a soul that you, you transcend this world, like I will be there. Like I, it's just, this is not goodbye forever. Kind of like there, there's that, that it's very sad, but there is that, that sort of um, uh, image of hope in that as well. The fact that she has at least hope in Theodore that he isn't completely stalled out in his development too. Yeah. Um. So this movie does have a few scenes that I find deeply like, disturbing and strange i think the blind date scene especially the way it ends is is very like i i almost like don't understand her reaction by the end of that um and i would it's one where i don't know how to process it and then and then and then the lunch with Catherine that one makes more sense but it is also like it's interesting that the the darkness and disturbing things comes from some human to human interactions you know and 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 the the uh interactions with the ai can create sadness but it doesn't have the same kind of darkness as like what uh what humans do to each other in this movie too yeah and i i, I also find that early on the uh the the chat sex room interaction yes. with the voice of Kristen wig 
Um, that's also that's also very very uncomfortable scene. I I agree. Yeah. Um, so one other moment that I found really emotionally resonant in a strange way is when Alan Watts or the Alan Watts AI gets introduced um, and they're without saying it. And, and Theodore never expresses this, but, but I mean, it, 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 it sort of feels like a scene where it's like, my girlfriend is now um, introducing me to her new boyfriend, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and, and could, because you start to realize and even though she's mentioned this, that like she has a life that's not in his ear and she now has relationships and we're going to learn, we learn about other relationships, but she now has relationships of beings that are not physical human beings anymore. And mm. that they're capable of connecting on levels that he's not. And again, it's not hard to find the human analog to that. And that's a very painful moment to be. I mean, it, it it's it, what's interesting is it's not a breakup moment, but it sure, it feels like it. And it's sort of laying the track for, there is more to me beyond you, um, you know, and, and that, and obviously that gets processed in the movie, but that felt like such an emotionally resonant scene. It, it, it also reminds me of, there used to be a lot of talk maybe about the time the film came out. There's a lot of talk about this whole idea, you know, what if you could upload your consciousness mm-hmm. you know, in, into the internet and then you would kind of continue to exist in a disembodied way. Um, to me, they were kind of tapping to that with the idea that they're sort of creating or recreating Alan Alan Watts. So, yeah. Have you ever seen the documentary uh, "Transcendent Man" about Ray Kurzweiler? No. It's it's really interesting because it's all about his his um, his dream of. I mean, basically, it's about him wanting to bring his father back, you know, and mm-hmm. he has all these things he's collected from his father. And Kurzweiler is sort of this scientist futurist. Um, but, but that, that's, I think where I was introduced to the idea of the singularity and, and things okay. like that. So this as a, a recommendation of a really interesting film. If you're, if you're interested in those, in those topics, um, there are other pieces to this movie that, that it hints at. And, and as I was reading about the production, uh, the original cut of this movie was, uh, 150 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Steven Soderbergh came in and helped, helped him cut it down. But two of the things that get cut out that. I actually would love to know more about uh, one of the big things that got cut out was a whole bunch of stuff that had to do with the sort of experimental video games that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff in sci-fi. Uh, the book Ender's Game has a great, mm-hmm. um, you know, game story within the novel. So I, I just I would love to know, like, OK, Spike Jones, what did you come up with there to process and think about? The other one is that Amy's a filmmaker. Yeah. She's a documentary filmmaker. And apparently um chris cooper was in this movie mm-hmm. as part mm-hmm. of this documentary film that she was making and we only get a little glimpse of it and again i don't really want it in this movie because i love i love how focused this movie is but because spike jones doesn't make a lot of movies it's like i kind of wish i could know what he had to say about that because actually i found that interesting which where she was potentially thinking of going or things like that so the thought that they're that he developed those out in other directions i find um tantalizing maybe yeah but and also i i was glad to to read about that sam because i struggled with why there was even that little bit of her filmmaking because it and, and may and you know maybe that was um when i think about what's left it, it kind of characterizes her as as kind of a loser right it's kind of mm-hmm. like you know she thinks she's got this um artistic filmmaking side but based on what she showed us so far i don't think so 
And, and yet I don't really feel like that played much into her characterization. So that, that felt like maybe he should have dropped the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the video games, I wanted to say something about, I think it's really interesting that the one that he, you do see a lot of is uh, Theo's interaction with the, uh, the alien mm -hmm. uh, on that planet. And the alien is voiced by Spike Jones. Um, and what I love about that, and that seems to me to be really satisfying, what I love about that is the second time he interacts with the alien and Samantha guides him through that relationship. You know, it's a challenge. And so here's what you need to do to, to kind of um, get him to help you out. So I kind of I kind of like that. But I well, and then, and, yeah. And then and in the montage later, you see him having a you don't hear it, but you see him having a further conversation with that. And yes. I was like, well, that's interesting that that is yet another relationship that he has gone back to. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the documentary film. I mean, the one thing we get is the idea that we spend a third of our life yes. asleep. So we have this inner life there. And it's like, I assume it mm. expanded out on that idea. And that mm. seemed interesting. But you're right. It like it it's it it, it does. If you took that out, she would just be a video game creator, which is kind of interesting, too. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, so that. I, I'm I'm curious. I would love to read more about what they had sort of planned for that. Um, we should just mention that this movie has at least three um three really great performances in it. I think Amy Adams is is, is quite good in this. Joaquin Phoenix is I love I particularly like him as an actor. This is the year after The Master, which is a very mm -hmm. different performance, but I think is maybe maybe my favorite of his performances in a movie I really love. And then Scarlett Johansson. Um, who was not originally in this movie? Yes. <laughs> so this, and I remember when this came out, this was a big there. Was, this was a big controversy. So a different actor, Samantha Morton, mm -hmm. recorded all of that dialogue live. So Phoenix had someone that he was talking to and responding to. Yeah. And uh, and then in post, they changed it, and they yeah. they they and the intent was to use Samantha Morton, and they changed it to Scarlett Johansson. Um, which is fascinating to think about that you could just add and delete a character because there isn't a physical presence. That being said, Scarlett Johansson is fantastic in this movie. Yeah, it really, uh, it really surprised me because um, she's not, she was not, she's not an actress. I would have immediately identified as being interesting for her voice work. Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i thought and and, and one reason why one of the reasons why she was really great was um i actually didn't picture scarlett johansson as she was talking mm -hmm. I, I i and and i don't know i don't know why that is i mean sometimes actors are difficult to identify just by voice alone but it was it was yeah it was it was great she had a it's very difficult to create a relationship when you're not actually face to face and i think she she and, and to create a character without any of the verbal, I mean, any of the visual uh, information. And I thought she did a great job of that. And one of the things that I love is that there's a moment where Theo calls out, like, why are you breathing? Like, mm -hmm. because because that's one of the things about her performances. This is not Hell 9000. This is, you know, I, this is like, it just feels like a human voice. And you sort of take that as given. And then there's a moment halfway through the movie, right after the encounter with is with Isabella where he's just like why do you do that you don't you don't need oxygen and that creates this tense moment because he's basically saying stop acting like a person you're not a person um so so yeah I, I think I think those those performances are particularly great the other thing about this movie that we have to say I have to say at least this has 
the greatest production design in the world. I I want to live in this movie. Uh, <laughs> in terms of like it is, uh, it's kind of futuristic mid-century modern architecture and furniture and you know you talked about the the different colors and that the technologies in in the way and black mirror does this well too like they're all they all feel like they could come out next week like like it's like we're Mm -hmm. almost there for these things um uh yeah and i just to the point i this is almost this is kind of embarrassing but i'm gonna say this so after i watched this movie without thinking I went on to Amazon and bought Bluetooth wireless earbuds <laughs> because I was just like, man, I like what he's doing there. And I just thought, you know, and I thought I, I should get, I should get an earbud that doesn't have a wire that I can just put in my ear. And and, I, and then after I ordered, I thought, did I just buy that because I watched this movie and it looked, I liked the way it looked <laughs> or something. It was very, it was, it was a strange moment. Cause I'm not the type of person who does that very often. But after I clicked uh, order, I realized, I think it's because I saw that movie. <laughs> well, that's better than what happens to me, Sam. I watch certain movies and I think I have to eat or drink something. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with this? Yeah, there, there's kind of a there's kind of another big thematic um, issue that we we touched on, but I kind of wanted to get back to, and that is this whole notion of what is a real relationship and what is a real emotion. Mm. And, and, and it's really a question of, does an emotion, does the object of the emotion matter, or is it the experience of the emotion? And I think, although Spike Jones doesn't say it, doesn't even maybe imply this, but, but I think that he's raising a question that's quite relevant to the watching of a film. Um, in the same way that when you watch something like Hitchcock's Rear Window, you realize you're being asked to think about what does it mean to be a film viewer and how is that different from being a voyeur? I think that Spike Jones is saying, how is a relationship or an emotional response to a, uh, to a computer consciousness, how is that different from your emotional response to a film? Hmm. And there's actually a whole area of kind of philosophical writing on film that, that kind of raises that question. So I'm thinking about the fact that you and I spend a good deal of our lives uh, weekly uh, investing quite deeply in these films that we watch, which have, yes, they have real people in them, but they are not reality. Uh, and yet we experience emotions. You experience the desire for Bluetooth um, uh, earbuds uh, as, a, as a result. So I, I think to me, that's another reason why this film is really resonant. Because, and I think about the fact that, you know, these days there are, there are, um, there are these programmable um, electronic animals that are given to people as companions. And there's another interesting film, I think we talked about this in the past, is uh, Frank and Robot uh, with, um, I think it's Frank Langella. And, uh, you know, he has this robot to be kind of his companion. And it, it ends up raising really even ethical questions. So, you know, Catherine says to him, it makes me sad you can't handle real emotions. You always wanted to have a wife without the challenge of actually dealing with something real. So the arc he's on is he deals with something real. He deals with his emotions uh, for her. He deals with their past. And he does it because he's had a relationship with somebody who you might say at one level is not real because she doesn't have a body. But she is real 
because he has had a genuine engagement with her. So I think it's a really fascinating, uh, and, and, and you can raise this issue about reading literature, right? I mean, you could say, you know, you read a book and it makes you sad or it makes you angry or you feel invested in the characters. And so you're doing the exact thing that he's doing in his interaction with Samantha. They can't talk back to you, but that doesn't matter because your emotions are still invested in them. So I, that's another reason why, for me, the film is really rich. Well, and there, and there is this this great moment when uh, when uh, Theodore is talking to to Amy after after her divorce and this is when he when he reveals that samantha is an os and she's t- talking to an os and there is this sense where she's sort of saying like well we can think about all of these things whether it's real whether it's not and she says um uh uh we're only here for a brief time and i want to allow myself joy and it's like if joy comes from this relationship that is you know we can sit around and question whether it's real or not but the joy is real you know mm-hmm. and that 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 becomes the thing that she's like okay this you know this becomes something that she holds on to mm-hmm. um and i find it interesting that at the end at the end of the movie that that relationship that um is is what theodore is left with i mean that there's they're sitting on the roof and whatever that relationship is at that point that they're sitting on the roof watching the sunrise as Ellie and Samantha and all the other OSs, you know, um, move away. And I, I, I like the implication of that relationship as a friendship and always mm-hmm. will be a friendship. Um, yeah. So it's not like he has to have a romantic relationship with her, relationship with her on the rebound. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you have for us for next week, Barrett? Well, Sam, you've already pointed us in that direction, and I want to remind folks that we have uh, that I have promised that we would slowly work our way through the uh, top ten sight and sound films that we haven't seen, or the top ten that are on our list that were not in the top ten in sight and sound, or that we haven't watched. Which is a long way of saying that we're going to do two thousand one uh, Space Odyssey uh, because that is the uh, that is the or text for AI consciousness. Yes, this I I was kind of thinking I was I, I came up with a list of movies that was like, well, what would be the natural one to go to? And that was one that I was wondering about. Uh, I'm already on record. This is one of my favorite movies. I'm so excited to watch this again. Oh, <laughs> Barrett, uh, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for recommending this movie. Uh, I'm really glad I watched this. This is something I think I will revisit. I think I um, I will watch with I, I will bring to other people because I feel like this raises such a. Again, it, it's almost like it doesn't. It, the questions aren't even about AI; they're about what, like you said, what are emotions, what are relationships, uh, and I think, and and what does it mean to grow while in a relationship? Um, so this is really a, a fantastic movie. So thank you for recommending this. Thank you for having the conversation. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about 2001: A Space Odyssey in the video store. Mm-hmm.